Hi, welcome to James Miller Lifeology, where you learn to simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. My name is James Miller. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and a composer. Thank you so much for joining with us today. Let's get started. Did you know that on jamesmillerlifeology.com, you can enroll in the academy I created for listeners just like you? I've created courses you may take at your own pace, which will help you simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. Enroll in one of the classes today. I have a great show for you today. I'll be discussing being pushed into your purpose. I'll also be interviewing Dave Sanderson, who was pushed into his purpose when he was the last passenger on the plane that landed on the Hudson River. You all know me as a psychotherapist, but some of you may not yet know me as a composer. I currently have two albums which have been released. Think of both albums like books. Each composition is composed like a chapter in a book. The first album, Consolation, explores heartache and pain as a character moves to finding healing and hope. The second album, Restoration, explores a character's awakening and being restored to something greater than before. You may purchase these albums on iTunes or any other digital music store. The names of the albums are Consolation and Restoration, and my stage name is James S. Miller. The name of the piece you are currently hearing is from the second album, Restoration, entitled Introspection. One morning, a 16-year-old boy was kidnapped from his house by a band of knife-wielding thugs and taken to another country to be sold as a slave. The year was 401 AD. He was made a shepherd. Slaves were not allowed to wear clothes, so he was often dangerously cold and frequently on the verge of starvation. He spent months at a time without seeing another human being. But this greatest of difficulties was transformed into the greatest of blessings because it gave him an opportunity not many people get in a lifetime. Long lengths of solitude have been used by people all through history to meditate, to learn to control the mind, and to explore the depths of feeling and thought to a degree impossible in the hubbub of normal life. Now, he wasn't looking for such an opportunity, but he got it anyway. He had never been a religious person, but to hold himself together and take his mind off the pain, he began to pray, so much that, in one day, he wrote later, I would say as many as a hundred prayers, and after dark, nearly as many again. I would wake and pray before daybreak, through snow, frost, and rain. This young man, at the onset of his manhood, got a raw deal. But therein lies the lesson. Nobody gets a perfect life. The question is not what could I have done if I had gotten a better life, but rather what can I do with the current life I have? When I'm forced into a new situation, what do I do? The young slave prayed. He didn't have much else available to do, so he did what he could do with all his might. And after six years of praying, he heard a voice in his sleep say that his prayers would be answered. He was going home. He sat bolt upright and the voice said, Look, your ship is ready. He was a long way from the ocean, but he started walking. After 200 miles, he came to the ocean, and there was a ship, preparing to leave for Britain, his homeland. Somehow, he got aboard the ship and went home to reunite with his family. But he had changed. The 16-year-old boy had become a holy man. He had visions. He heard the voices of the people from the island he had left, Ireland, calling him back. The voices were persistent, and he eventually left his family to become ordained as a priest and a bishop with the intention of returning to Ireland and converting the Irish to Christianity. At the time, the Irish were fierce, illiterate, iron-aged people. For over 1,100 years, the Roman Empire had been spreading its civilizing influence from Africa to Britain, but Rome never conquered Ireland. The people of Ireland warred constantly. They made human sacrifices of prisoners of war and sacrificed newborns to the gods of the harvest. They hung the skulls of their enemies on their belts as ornaments. Our slave boy turned bishop decided to make these people literate and peaceful. Braving dangers and obstacles of tremendous magnitude, he actually succeeded. By the end of his life, Ireland was Christian. Slavery had ceased entirely. Wars were much less frequent, and literacy was spreading. How did he do it? He began by teaching people to read, starting with the Bible. 
Students eventually became teachers and went to other parts of the island to create new places of learning, and wherever they went, they brought the know-how to turn sheepskin into paper and paper into books. Because our slave boy turned bishop, transformed his suffering into a mission, civilization itself, in the form of literature and the accumulated knowledge contained in that literature, was saved and not lost during that time of darkness. He was named a saint. You know him as St. Patrick. Being pushed into your purpose. Life happens to all of us. There are going to be situations in our life that completely blindside us, and it causes us to be so fearful, have doubt, worry, and uncertain of what our future looks like. For example, let's say you get laid off from your job. Of course, that was your source of income, that was your identity, that was your world, and then with that being taken away, what next? Or you're going along in a relationship and you're thinking things are going really, really well, and all of a sudden the person says they want to break up with you or get a divorce from you. What do you do then? There's so many things that happen in our life from the greatest things to even the smallest things that happen on a daily basis that are going to blindside us. Our life can be very comfortable. And all of a sudden when something like this happens, it removes that comfort. And then we think, what am I going to do? Who am I going to be? That is one of the most devastating times that we can have happen in our life. But there's a reframe to it. There's another way to look at it. We've talked before about how our life is like a jigsaw puzzle and all links together into a beautiful picture of how our life is going to be. Some puzzle pieces we know where they go, others we do not. And this is exactly one of those times as well. I once read about this executive who was part of this hardware store. He had helped build this company and then all of a sudden he was laid off. He was blindsided. He did not know what to do. So he decided to start his own company. And it turns out that that company is Home Depot. And it did so much better than the place from where he was let go. Every situation we have happen, as devastating as it is, as traumatic as it is, it doesn't mean that that's going to stop us. Sometimes it literally pushes us into our destiny. It literally pushes us into a completely different direction that we even thought of. And so I really want us to think about this. Sometimes these opportunities afford us to say, wait a minute, I really wasn't happy in the previous version of my life, or I wasn't as happy as I thought I was, rather. Now what can I do? Now I have this opportunity to maybe change my career. I have this opportunity to really learn some self-reflections. I now have this opportunity to learn a new skill set. I have an opportunity to go back to school. I have an opportunity to start my own business. All of these potential things that may blindside us don't have to stop us. The difficulty is, is when we're comfortable in our previous life, and once again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but that comfort sometimes causes us to become stagnant. And these external circumstances are really what we need to make that huge shift, to make that change in our life. Because without that, you will never reach your highest potential. And by no means am I minimizing if you go through one of these traumatic situations and how that feels, because of course, the initial shock of that is very profound and very great, but it doesn't have to paralyze you. It doesn't have to stop you. It does not have to be the end of your world. I'd really encourage you to maybe reflect on your own life. Are there things in your life that you find there's mediocrity or that you're maybe not being fulfilled? And if you don't have one of these big situations that happen in your life, well, there's an opportunity to change those mediocre situations in your life and you can develop it. But think back on those times when maybe you had something that blindsided you, something that pushed you in a different direction. What was the outcome? Was it as dire as what you thought it was? Of course, initially it felt like that, but on the other side of it, you developed, it became stronger. Sometimes being pushed in our purpose teaches us resilience that we have, teaches us the strength that we have. 
often we don't realize the power that's within us. We don't realize the mindset we have. We don't realize the intrinsic strength that comes with a situation that is incredibly dire. Think about a caterpillar. A caterpillar goes in its cocoon in the chrysalis stage. And in order to move to the next level, it has to go through something traumatic. It has to go through something painful. It has to go through something incredibly difficult by fighting its way out of that cocoon. And in that struggle, that is how the butterfly can actually fly. But if he didn't have that struggle, he wouldn't reach his purpose. He wouldn't reach his destiny because he'd always stay on the ground. And that's never what he was designed for. He was designed to fly, to be free. When these situations happen, it is so important for you to reframe it. It is so important for you to be around people who are able to help you reframe it if you struggle with it. Remember, it's normal to be shocked. It's normal to be overwhelmed with the initial situation. But if you get stuck there, then you're not going to be able to reframe your life and find what that purpose is. There's always a reason for why we go through certain things. Sometimes it's natural consequences from our own life and from our own decisions. But sometimes there are things that are beyond our control. And when it's beyond our control, it doesn't mean it has to defeat us. It means we can overcome it. Every setback is a setup for a comeback. When something feels like a setback, it all happens in the reframe. It all happens in how you revisit it, you relook at it, you retool it, and that is how you will be able to overcome it. Your purpose is greater than what you think. If you've reached your highest potential right now, then you've settled. There's so much more in you. There's so much more power in you. There's so much more talent in you. So who you are today is an amazing person. But if we're not able to develop, sometimes these situations that happen literally push us into our purpose. A quick example of one of the courses you'll find in the academy entitled Spirit, Mind, Body, The Perfect Triad. This non-religious course helps you understand how your intuition, or rather your gut, your logic, and your body all work together to help you overcome any obstacle you may face. Enroll in the class today. Dave Sanderson was the last passenger off the back of the plane that crashed into the Hudson River, better known as a miracle on the Hudson. He was largely responsible for making sure so many others made it out safely. He is going to share his incredible story with us today. Welcome to my show, Dave. James, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be with you today. Yes, definitely. When I was reviewing to see who's going to be on my show this week, I was really excited to see that it was you. Of course, this story was so prolific in the newspaper that so many people want to hear more about it. I can't even imagine what it was like for you to experience it. So I can't wait for you to share your story with my listeners today. Well, it was uh, one of those things that you, know, you never expect to be in a plane crash. But, you know, like I tell people, I think everybody's got what I call their own personal plane crashes through life. <laughs> that's uh, whether it's a health or issue or something else that happens. I just had an actual plane crash. Well, Dave, if you wouldn't mind, because I'm sure you've told this story thousands of times, but if you wouldn't mind telling us exactly what went down, because I may have some listeners who aren't too familiar with this incredible story. Most definitely. First thing, I wasn't supposed to be on that that flight. I was scheduled to be on the 5 o'clock flight that night. Uh, But that day, I was working in a distribution center in Brooklyn, New York, and my job as a sales manager. Uh And that day, the the distribution center opened up at 2 o'clock in the morning. So we started our day at 5 and got done about 10. And I was at the end of a three-day business trip, and travel. I travel over 100 times a year and when I do my job. So any chance to get home to my wife and four kids a little early, I usually try to take advantage of that. So that's... That's how I got on the flight. I called the trailer. She put me on flight 1549. So after I looked back on it, I think I was destined to be on that flight for a reason. Yes. And there was nothing extraordinary about today. It was 11 degrees and snowing. And I was one of the first set of passengers to board the plane that day because of my status with U.S. Airways. I was a chairman. I was top tier because I traveled so much. Sure. So I went back to my seat, 15A. That's four rows behind the left wing. 
And I did exactly what I did every single time when I got on plane then. And I tell folks probably what they do when they get on a plane now. I just went back, put the briefcase down, put the wall in the briefcase. I pulled the magazine out and I started to read. And I did not pay attention to instructions. So, <laughs> you know, and I, it's one of those lessons I tell people, you got to pay attention and be aware on a plane. Yes. But uh, it was about 60 to 70 seconds after we took office when I heard the explosion, and it was a loud explosion. I never heard anything on a plane like that before, so it sort of woke me up and got my attention. So I looked out the window, and I saw fire coming out from the left wing. So I knew something had happened. Sure. But, you know, I fly so often, James, that's not the plane lost an engine. The planes have two engines. No big deal. He's just going to go back to the airport and get another plane. Yeah, but Especially since you just took off. Yeah, so that's why I think how fortunate we all are to have a captain who had that kind of skill set because no one knew on the plane that at that moment, they'll have on the left side of the plane where I was at, I'll show up on the right side of the plane and he didn't have anything. He had nothing to work with but his skill set. So I think we you know, we were very fortunate to have Captain Sullenberger with 20,000 hours of flight time plus wow. Captain Skiles with 20,000 hours. We had 40,000 hours of flight time plus a captain who was a fighter jet pilot during Vietnam. So oh, wow. <laughs> he, um, he had the reps, right? Yes. He had the reps. But he still had to execute. But he, he skillfully glided that plane over the George Washington Bridge. He was heading straight for the bridge. So when he pulled the nose up to get over the bridge, he cleared about between, somewhere between 300 and 500 feet. Wow. Because he was only about 1,100 feet at that point in time descending down from 3,300 feet. So he barely cleared the bridge. Yes. When we crossed the bridge, I looked out the window and looked down, and there were faces looking up at us. And I knew that we were close to the bridge, but then all of a sudden I sort of looked out, and all you could see was water in front of us. So you knew that this probably wasn't going to turn out very well because my association to plane crashes, number one, they're not good. Of but course. especially ones in water are not good. Yes. They usually go toppling, and all of a sudden you have a real catastrophe on your hands. But fortunately for us, he got that plane down after he said his famous words, brace for impact. And it was about one minute after he crossed over the George Washington Bridge is when he hit the river. And it was a hard hit. He estimates, I've heard him say somewhere between 100, 120 miles an hour. He doesn't wow. know think for fact, but it was a hard hit. So I went back in my seat and up my seat. And when I came back up, I opened my eyes up, and that's when I sort of looked to the left, and I saw light coming through the window. So I knew I was alive and I had a shot, but I wasn't out because that's when the real fun started because getting the plane down was phase one. Phase two was getting out of a sinking plane in water. So oh, the water, water started coming in immediately because of how he hit in, in the back front of the plane, it stripped the bottom of the plane off. And then somebody actually did listen to the flight crew, went to that closest exit, which may be behind you, and turned up that door, which all of a sudden they got water coming in from underneath and back of the plane. Oh, my gosh. So now all of a sudden you've got 36 degree water filling the plane. And where I was on the plane, I was four rows behind the left wing. So I was towards the back of the plane. So water immediately was even from ankle knee to waist deep, depending where you and what side of the plane you were on. Now you have the issue of trying to get out of the plane. And Kaylee, my game plan, once I came up and I looked up, I knew I was alive, was get to the aisle, get up and get out. That's yes. exactly what I thought. I said, aisle up out. But when I got to the aisle, something happened, James, that changed that day, but also probably changed how I was going to go there for the rest of, probably for the rest of my life. My mother, who had passed away in 1997, I heard her voice in my head talking to me, telling me, if you do the right thing, God will take care of you. And my mother said that to me when I was a kid, but you know, you don't listen to it when your mother <laughs> did, right? But all of a sudden, she's talking to me, and all of a sudden, I didn't like tell folks, I think the great, one of the great things about that is not what she says specifically, but she gave me the choice. What's the right thing to do? Yes. Do you take care of yourself? Do you take care of other people? And I knew that I was alive, but then I you know, I didn't know if anybody else was in the back of the plane. I sort of looked in the back, and that's why I went to the back of the plane and waited till we got everybody out from the back of the plane. It, it wasn't intentional. My game plan, like I said, was up, aisle, out. But when I went back, there was, was an elderly lady that needed some help, and 
we finally got her out of her seat and started moving her up. And so when everybody got out, I started making my way up the plane to get out. Now, this is, this is somewhere between three to four minutes time frame. This is all happening. So water was already waist deep. And not only did the seats sort of break back when we hit on impact, the bins had broken open. Oh, my gosh. So, Luggage is thrown out. You're waist deep in the water. It's dark in the back of the plane because it's already submerged into the river. So every time you took a step, you ran into something. And candidly, you didn't know what you were hitting because you couldn't see down the water. It was all it was, it was black. Yeah, you know, was it somebody's body? Was it luggage? Was it some a seat? You didn't know what you're hitting. But all the further I could get up was I was 10F on the right side. So when I I said it's time to go, so I got started making my way out, and I looked out and. It was an amazing sight. There was no room on the wing or the boat for me. It was already filled up. Oh, my gosh. But people were already being rescued. And I think that, I tell people, I think that was, was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen because here you are just a couple minutes after a plane crash and already people are being rescued. Um, but that's why how I became the last passenger out is, you know, I couldn't get on the wing or the boat. But then the boat, I don't know if anybody on, who's listening knows anything about the Hudson River. It's got an extremely fast current. This plane actually was floating down the rivers. The little lifeboat kept going in and out from the plane because no one knew on the boat, and I didn't either because who reads the instructions? <laughs> it's actually tethered to the plane, but no one knew that. So yeah. it kept floating out, and they kept yelling, hold on, hold on. So I held on to the lifeboat waist deep in 36-degree water as close as I could to the wing so I could get out on the wing for about seven minutes. And that's how I became the last passenger out. Wow. It wasn't by intent. And, you know, there's for, fortunately for me, when I was on Good Morning America a couple of weeks later doing a show with them, the first picture that they showed was me holding the lifeboat. And I was like, I, I knew it happened, but then I sort of looked at it from that angle. I was like, wow, we're already submerged in the water. And this thing is really, it's, a, it's an amazing picture because it shows everything happening on the right side of the plane at one time. Wow. That's how I became the last passenger out. But, uh, you know, Things were happening all over the place. Well, I'm sure you said it's like three to four minutes uh, yep. or just the whole aspect, but I, I would imagine that felt like an eternity. Well, time moves very slow. That's what I tell people. that Because la- people ask me all the time I do interviews is, what's that last minute when you crossed over the bridge before you crashed? I said, that was the longest minute of my life. What happened to me, and I've, I've, I verify with some other passengers, they had a similar experience, is you see your life pass before your eyes. Mm-hmm. And I saw things that I was, I, I told, that was probably the most time in my life I had the most clarity because I saw things from my childhood that I hadn't seen in 40, 50 years that were coming to me live in person, seeing old girlfriends and me playing football in high school and Boy Scouts and getting married and kids being born. And that last minute, even though it's only 60 seconds, lasted like an eternity until we hit. So well, let me I ask think, you that question. So when you yeah. said you saw that, cause we all, we've all heard that, that statement before my life last before my eyes, were the emotional feelings that went, that you attached with each one of those, those memories? There were, there was emotion with the memories. And I think, you know, and I, I've, I've studied neuroassociative conditioning. Uh-huh. I, so I associate certain feelings with certain activities. Sure. And so some things were pleasurable, some things were painful, some things were joyous, but it, it was amazing. The clarity you see, when you don't think you're coming back. And, you know, I, I told somebody in an interview last week, I said, you know, I knew one thing, either I was going to go be, be asleep someplace new that, that night, or I'm going to be back on earth, but I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So I was, it was peaceful because wow. you have no control, but managing your mind, I tell people that's managing your mind in a crisis is probably one of the key best skills, the key skills people can, can utilize because, and I think people start losing it are the ones who who all of a sudden you have to deal with. And now, now you've got chaos. Yes. But, well, um, it goes back to that whole fight or flight and just right. being able to, with your executive function, to be able to focus on one, the tasks at hand. 
And I, and that's right. I wrote a blog about that this week. Exactly that. that oh, nice. Okay. That, that section. Yeah. About but the, the, and I was asking an interview was this, if I had a superpower, which what I wanted to be. And, you know, I love, I love all these superhero stuff. I <laughs> love all this stuff. Right. <laughs> I'm thinking, what, what I want to, you know, be fast or fly. So no, I want the, 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 the superpower I want to have is the ability to focus intensely in a second's notice. Wow. Because I think, because if you be able to focus intently to get your outcome, and just laser focus, you can get about anything you want in life. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's what happened that day on that plane for all of us. How did your perspective of life change? What changed dramatically for me is, of course, that night was sort of very chaotic and things were happening. But what happened was the only person that called me that night in the hospital was Tony Robbins. And I, I was head of security for Tony for 10 years, and he and I became very good friends. And, he, of course, he has the resources to track you down. If he sure. wants to talk, he'll find you, right? <laughs> he will find you. <laughs> but that's not the real story. The real story is that my company, who I was working for, didn't even call me. And they, really? didn't, they didn't call my wife. And that wasn't apparent at that time because everything was sort of happening until I got back to Charlotte the next day. And I was two, my wife did not want me to drive home alone. So two of my kids went in the car with me. And I, I stopped at the office to say, hey, I'm alive. And Haley, the first question was, you're going, you're going to Michigan on that business trip next week, right? And what? I, that's the point I sort of realized I was just a number. Wow. So, so to answer your question, the one of the biggest things that changed for me was I knew at that point, Kaylee, I was just a number. They would have put somebody else on plane to Michigan the next week, and uh-huh. they would have paid them. And, and I knew at that point I had to refocus my priorities yes. because I modeled, in this, I modeled what my dad did. You know, my dad was a sales manager. I was a sales manager. He traveled all the time. I traveled all the time. He missed a lot of things when I was growing up, and I missed a lot of things for my kids because I was focused on what dads do, you know, support the family, yeah, right? of course. Give them the lifestyle that they, they need and give them what they need. Well, what happened once I realized that, that, you know, I, I liked my company, but Kenley, they would have put somebody in there the next day. I realized I need to reprioritize my, my life. So now – what changed that is I refocused. I do everything around my family schedule. So even like this, like we're talking today, if my, we had a family event right now, we wouldn't be talking right now. Mm-hmm. But everything now is focused on that, and which has changed dramatically this last year or so because I got to see my daughter play every basketball game, right? That's so neat. Yeah. And where I was always traveling before, I miss a few. So that was the biggest change that tra- you know, transformed me was understanding how I probably need to reprioritize my, my agenda in my life. Yeah. How do you think your personality just kind of prepared you for this event? Because like you said, you weren't, you weren't expected to be on that flight, but you were. How no. do you think your, your life story, all that's happened in your life really prepared you for that? Because I think sometimes we don't realize that. We may not understand why an event happens or why we are a certain way, but everything just links together in a wonderful jigsaw puzzle of our life. And so sometimes things that we didn't think really even mattered now all of a sudden matter at, at a key moment in our life. How do you think that your personality was prepared for that event? Well, that's a great, great distinction, James, because when that's how my book Moments Matter came to be, because what I've realized, all the things that we all do in our lives, not only me, but everybody, that all the training, the learnings, the experiences, all the moments we have, all of a sudden do matter, because you don't know when that one, one moment in your life that you learned something or did something is going to impact you or somebody else in that critical moment. And exactly. I'll give you a couple examples. You know, a couple, you know I talk about Captain Sullenberger. He's a, a tremendous individual. And he went to the Air Force Academy, and he learned how to glide planes at the Air Force Academy back in the 60s. And all of a sudden, he never had to glide a plane before, <laughs> say, 154 people. But he did. He All of a sudden, he had to call on that something 40 years prior to do that. Well, same with me. I, if I didn't know how to swim and learn how to swim back in the 60s when I was growing up, uh-huh. I had to swim for my life. So I find kids who don't know how to swim, and it freaks me out because 
that one skill, that one moment in life, and I learned that one one thing helped me help me save myself. And in addition to what I learned about how to manage your mind and sensory acuity and state management mm-hmm. and all the things things that I learned became critical in that one six to ten minute area segment. I mean, they all came together, and uh, I think that was that's why I'd like to talk about. It. That's what I write about is you know all these moments. Don't ever pass up an opportunity to learn something from somebody ever. Yes. People ask me all the time, well, this, was this a solid Paul experience for you? Was this a new mm-hmm. a faith? I said, no, I was I was always a believer. But what this gives gave me is a strong reference to be able to handle something in, the, in a critical situation and manage my mind. And I could show people, how can you manage your mind when all stuff's hitting the fan, whether it's business, personal, if you have cancer or something else? I talked to a lot of military, James, coming back. Mm-hmm. And because the PTSD and they're yes. having a lot of issues and there was an article written about me three years ago in AARP magazine about and it's called Jolt, and it was about something that some guy did research on me from North Dakota State University. Really? I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't even know he was doing research on me. But what he what they wrote about about me is I have this thing called PTGS, and I didn't even know what that was. And it's post traumatic growth syndrome, and it's it's the ability to grow from a crisis situation where other people go in depression. Uh-huh. And what's the difference? What what's the triggers? And it, it came down, and in my interview, I said, this, this is questions you ask yourself. Yes. Where people who are in the military or the fire, I just talked to a bunch of, I'm talking to firemen here in two weeks in Illinois about this, is about, you know, they can go into fire all day long, and they come out, and they have nothing left, and all of a sudden, they reframe things to a point where, why did this happen to me? Mm-hmm. You well, know? I was going to say, it's, it's how you internalize it, how it right. makes sense in your mind, yeah. Instead of asking a question like, such as, how can I use this to add value and enjoy the process at the same time? Yes. And that one change in question changes everything in the direction of your life. And that's why I love talking to military and, and folks who have gone through a crisis situation. That sounds like it's incredibly powerful for them to hear that, especially with you know, someone that they can relate to who's also gone through a very traumatic event, but you are on the other side of it and you're able to really instill that hope in them. So I think that's absolutely wonderful that you have that opportunity to share that with them. Yeah, I, I talked to somebody who survived the uh, the avalanche last year over in Nepal, and she lost 23 friends over in that, and she's freaking out up in Canada. And I was talking on the phone. I said, she she's basically put herself in a cabin by herself, and that's the worst thing you can do because you keep running the same pattern in your mind, right? Of course. Instead of getting out and processing, that's what I did. The difference what I did, James, and I would coach and tell anybody is if you go through something, the process you got to get out and talk talk about it, get it out. Do not internalize because the pattern keeps running in your head. All of a sudden, starts stacking in your head. And all of a sudden, you're you're so depressed, you you're state you you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. You're locked. I, I would say that's the. If I was coaching anybody, that's how I coach them to uh, to handle stress. Well, I think there's also something that's called emotional forecasting. And when we go through something that's so detrimental and so powerful, when we continually loop it in our head over and over and over again, and all of a sudden the emotional snapshot we create in that moment, then we all of a sudden think that's our future, and our future is going to be the living in that high intensity trauma. And that's not the case at all. It's just in that moment, and then you reframe it, and then you use it as as a stepping stone or foundation to break through that shell or that glass ceiling that perhaps was prevalent in someone's life before. Most definitely. I think that's a, that's a very nice way to say it. Uh, it's a very accurate way to say it because you're right. It's a, it's a recurring pattern that you also lock in. And that, I love that term snapshot because mm-hmm. it is a snapshot. It is, yeah. It's not a movie. It's a snapshot. Yeah. So. Well, and I think that's the thing. I mean, you know, when, when we talk about the – that minute as the plane was crashing, you know, you said you said everything in front of you and literally with snapshots as well. And so you take kind of a micro situation like yours, meaning a minute's time, and then you compare that to the bigger version of our life, you know, the bigger snapshots that happen. And if we can take it one element and make it functional, then we can make it function on all elements of our life. We just have to figure out how to do it. Right. There's, and there's strategies on how to do everything. Mm-hmm. You just got to understand the strategy and find somebody who's done it 
and repeat the process and model what they've done. Because right. there's nothing new under the sun. There's always That's right. been done nothing before. New. Yep. Yep. Nothing new. Yep, exactly. What is so? What you're doing now? You're you're a, uh, you're an author. You're a speaker. You're you're a coach. What are the things that have really shaped your life now be, beyond this? Sounds like you changed your career as well. I did change my career a couple of years ago. I I was still working for Oracle because I still had four kids to put through college, and my lo- wife loves health insurance. So I, <laughs> you know, but I had I had so I had to figure a strategy out to yeah. be able to do this. So. Fortunately for me, two years ago, she gave me the thumbs up. So I, uh, I'm now speaking all over the world, and oh, that's wonderful, you know, Dave. and it's 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 not only inspiration, but it's these lessons from that day that can apply towards business or personal life. And like I mentioned, we start off about when people face that time in their life, and everybody's going to have that personal plane crash. Yes, everybody's going to have one in their life. It may be minor, it may be major. But uh, I just talked to somebody the other day whose whose friend's going through cancer, and she's having a real difficult time, and. I was talking about, you know, how to, how sort of the mindset on how to go about doing this because that's their plane crash. How do you deal with that plane crash? And so I, I that's what I love to do right now is I do I talk to people and I speak and I do the coaching and I do do a lot of things with companies, but I also do raise money for the Red Cross because one of the things you learn when you go through a situation like this is that you know you don't do everything by yourself. It's it's total yeah. team effort, and the Red Cross was there. And what I've learned over the last you know, six, seven years from the Red Cross is they're, they're in the most critical situation where people are facing their personal plane crash, whether it's a fire, a flood, a tornado, a hurricane, wherever it may be. Lately, it's been the, the fires up in Alberta. I've been talking yes. to people in Canada because I'm going to Alberta in two months to talk. And, and it's, it's – you know, so I do a lot. I've really focused on the area of contribution because that's where I think true wealth comes from in your life is giving back to those who need it. And hopefully they'll pay it forward to somebody else. And that's what I really try to focus on right now. Well, I think that's a really wonderful thing as far as the giving it, giving back. And that's really one of the things that I teach with my clients as well is when we're going through something that's so painful, when we can learn to give back, it may be in many different ways we can give back. But if we can give back to our community, give back to our friends, give back to our loved ones, what it does is it takes away from the pervasive feelings of whatever we've internalized and it moves it to something active because often we feel paralyzed when we're struggling with something and we don't feel like we can make any difference. And so when you take that internal struggle and you externalize it to actual movement, which is giving back in in some area of service or whatever that might be, it actually creates the synergy or the energy to move us from stillness to action. And that affords us the ability to then break through much more quickly than we would should we just get lost in that paralysis of our thoughts. Most definitely. I mean, that's that's the whole premise behind it. And, you know, one of the critical needs, everybody's got you know, primary needs in their life, but the, the, one of the spiritual needs in life is the ability to contribute. Yes. And and once people sort of graduate from you know, their stages in life where they go through their own personal significance or I need this, I need that, it's a love and everything else. But once they graduate to contribution saying, you know, it's bigger than I am. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, many people don't get there, though, which no. is unfortunate. I mean, that's the two definitions of society in the sense that we all work together in a very organism type way. And that that's what helps us all, the, our society become even better is because we all give back. We all give our contribute in some way. But many well, people don't see that. I agree. I and mean, you know, I think that's one of the things that you asked which sort of changed. I think that's where it changed to me because I was an achiever. I still like to achieve, but I was totally focused on achievement. You know, mm-hmm. making money, achieving, you know, getting this, getting that. And that's total personal significance. It ultimately comes back and it's hard to connect at that point because people are, you know, see you as it's all about you. Mm-hmm. 
and all of a sudden you open it up to know it's not about me now. And that's what changed dramatically is it's about the bigger picture. How can I add value to other people? And I'll tell you what, it's, it's opened every avenue of my life in the last five or six years to a point where I am so blessed every day just to be above ground. That's wonderful, Dave. And I think it just goes back to we all have different metrics of success. You know, many people when it looks to the monetary success when it comes to their work. And that's fine for a season, but as we become – perhaps having a situation like this or having our own plane crash, however you want to quantify it, when we can understand that metric of success and metric of fulfillment is greater than one specific metric that we originally determined. Like, for example, if it was just, I want to be very wealthy, and that's the only thing that's going to matter to me. But when we can really stop and reframe, just kind of like this situation happened for you, and really look at all the things that are greater than one measurement of success, it opens up a whole new world of, of opportunity and benevolence and just joy in our life that we probably never really experienced before. It opens up connection and opens up certainty in your whole life because all of a sudden you you don't have to have everything. Mm-hmm. It's not you, know, you don't. You, it's not about getting the toys, right? It's about you know I have certainty in myself because I'm giving to the point where I'm now growing. Yes. And you know, and growth is the other spiritual need people have mm-hmm. is the ability to grow and contribute. And once you hit those, James, I think those are the people who are truly successful in their lives. And then that's why the Mother Teresas of the world are so revered because yes. they 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 realize that. You know, they didn't have anything financially or any material things, but they understood to contribute is to grow and to grow is to be spiritual. And I think a lot of people don't realize that as wonderful as Mother Teresa is, we all have that ability to be like her or be to emulate those types of benevolent behaviors. It's just we have to make that decision to change our world, change our mindset, change our environment. And in doing so, that's how we all grow and develop. Most definitely. Great way to say it. Well, so let's talk about where my listeners can find your information online. Well, thank you very much. So my website is DaveSandersonSpeaks.com, and we've uh, just revamped that. So you can go out and look for my books and where I'm speaking and and engage me because right now I don't have any filters. I don't have an assistant. So if you you go there, you can get to me personally. But, you know, I do a lot. I'm learning this. James, you're probably better than I am. I'm learning the social media thing. So, (laughs) you know, Dave Sanderson Speaks is my Facebook page and David Sanderson is LinkedIn and Dave Sanderson too is Twitter. And I'm learning how to do all three of the above. And that's how the best way to connect with me. But I, I, you know, when people come to me, they they have no filters. That's why I want it to be. I, I want, I want to be able to interact with people and help people and reach yes. out to people. Well, it sounds like you're doing an amazing job. It was such a pleasure to have you on my show today. I want to thank you once again for all the, just your insights and how you've just been able to help us, just the energy that you have, help us just really reframe our life and to help us find the next chapter in our own life. So thank you very much, Dave, for being a part of the show today. James, thank you for having me and thank you for allowing me to share my book and sort of some of my theories. Thank you very much. I also want to thank you, the listener, for joining with us today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you joined with us today. Also, please visit my website where you may enroll in Lifeology Academy, read my published articles, and watch all my YouTube episodes I created just for you. If you'd like to become a show sponsor or become a guest, please visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.